Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, my man? Hey, man. Doing okay. It has mm. been a couple of weeks. Yeah. There's been a lot going on. A little on. rocky, a lot of transitions going on. Yep. It's yep. a full moon right now. <laughs> Are you feeling the, the energy, the rays of the moon? Uh, I'm feeling something. Oh, me too. Uh, yeah, I have a new job, which is more demanding in my time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not at home all the time working from home. But it's a good shift, and I'm happy for you. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think it's good. a step in a good direction for me. Yes, um, yes. And we had to say goodbye to our cat, Penny. Mm-hmm. Very sad. One of the podcats. Yep, yep. I think the one of the recent episodes, she was drinking your water. She was, and so. that, that's now immortalized forever. Yep, so. sure is. So that, that has me bummed, of course. I think it has us all bummed in the the universe that surrounds the kind of you and the show and everything else. Yeah, no joke. Um, but, you know, we're finally starting to get our house worked on. That's that, cool. That got busted up last year in a hailstorm. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's something. The less said of 2023, the better. God, fuck 2023. <laughs> Fucking yes. All right. How about you, man? How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling, feeling punchy. Yeah? Ready to go. All right. Excellent. Uh, we're doing a listener episode. We are. Those are always fun. Um, we're talking about A Cold Night's Death from 1973. One of your favorite types of things, a made-for-TV movie. A made-for-TV horror movie. Yeah. The best kind. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into all of that, of course. And also, I think, thank you to, I believe it was John, who pitched yes, this to us. It was, indeed. Yes, and I think this is actually one of the ones where we were like, oh, we would like to have him on as a guest to talk about this. And mm-hmm. and, and the whole guesting thing just never really panned out for us. So, yeah, uh, maybe someday. We, we'll we have put a ban on doing this one for a while, but... Hey. Yeah, it looked good. It, it's here, so thank you for the suggestion, man. I, I was in the mood for some nostalgic TV horror, so, you know. And it was just sitting there staring at you. Yep. Yep. It's cool. Uh, but first, we're going to do all our usual stuff, talk about what we've been watching. And we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. There's all kinds of other cool shows you could go be listening to, so head over onto that page, check out what everyone else is up to, show them some love as well. Yep. And then one ancillary thing, I posted something about it on the Twitters, mm-hmm. but for just to have it in episodes so everyone, everyone can get to it, uh, just want to give a shout out and send some love to our friends over at Unsung Horrors. They just had their 100th episode drop. Just super awesome. That's amazing. Um, That's great. So they're still doing cool stuff, awesome stuff. Go show them lots of love. 100 episodes is incredible. We're getting up there. We're getting We're up there. in the there. 80s. We're getting up there. Yeah, it won't be long. Um, so much love to them. Erica and Lance are both awesome. Yep. Keep doing what you do. Let's see another 100. Heck yeah. Let's do it. Well, that said, what have you been watching? Okay, well, as I mentioned, I have been preoccupied with things. So I haven't gotten as much movie watching in as I would normally like. Your viewing has been limited. Yeah, and right now our internet's out, which really sucks. <laughs> um, Did, um, is it AT&T? Yes. Yeah, I had the whole, like, one day this week, we just had no phone service at all. Yeah, that, that, yep. Yeah, it hit me, too. Um, but I did watch something recently, um, a documentary Oh. about one of our favorite directors, Dari Argento. Hey, okay, cool. It's called Dari Argento Panico, mm. um, directed by... Um, Good title. Yeah. Simon Scafidi. I'm sorry, Simone Scafidi. And uh, it's kind of your typical, you know, interviewing people that knew Argento that worked with him. Mm-hmm. There's kind of like this, uh, the wraparound more or less is like he 
whenever he writes a script, he goes like to a hotel and gets away from everything and mm-hmm. writes. So he's apparently working on a new script. So some of the film, probably the most entertaining parts, just dealt with him going to the hotel. And man, I don't know if you've seen him lately, but I mean, he has just become your typical old Italian man. You know, <laughs> he's kind of bitching about stuff, but he doesn't really want to do anything. He's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I don't know. It's it's he's, he's chilled out a lot. Let's just put it that way. But I mean, if you've seen his recent output, you won't be too surprised. Hey by man, that. I, I liked the uh, was it Dark Glasses? Yeah, pretty whatever. fun. Okay, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm just completely Listen, dismissive. You, you had to be there for the hype of the secret shutter. Oh yeah, right, right. Uh, showing makes everything better. But you know, it kind of follows his career from the beginning. The, they kind of stop talking about the movies after Stendhal syndrome. <laughs> I like that one. They touch a little bit on the card player. That's true. Hey, I love the card player. I lost my shit when they uh, when Goblin performed that at the show we went to. Yeah, that was fun. That was good. Um, it's kind of hard to defend anything past that, though, in my opinion. I mean, you know, they talk, they interviewed Aja Argento and Fiore Argento, and and there was some nice talk about some of their family dynamics, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, and that that was interesting. Um, Neo. So it's not going to bring anything new to you if you're an Argento fan. Like if you've read Profondo Argento or, you know, dived into his commentaries and all the essays about him and shit. You're not (laughs) going to learn anything new. But it's interesting to see him now. Cool. Yeah, it's it's worth watching. It's on Shudder. I was just about to ask. Yeah, so why not? How can we get at it? Cool. Mm -hmm. Fun. How about you, dude? What have you been watching? Okay, well, I got a few things. I still have some more of my leftover flu journal, but I'm going to yeah. put that on pause. I have more pressing things to talk about. Okay. Um, it's three. I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. So first I want to talk about from 1991. Good year. Uh, Black Is Cat. it? Is it though? Is it? Mm. It was a good year for this film. Okay. Uh, Black Cat, directed by Stephen Shen. This is a Hong Kong, I guess you would say knockoff of La Femme Nikita. Ah, Yes. Uh, it's about a woman named Catherine, and she's kind of this drifter out just trying to make her way in America. Um, and she gets in a crazy series of coincidences that gets her arrested. And while attempting to escape, she gets quote-unquote killed. Mm-hmm. But really, she's abducted by a secret government agency that wants to train her to be an assassin. Right. It, it's literally the plot mm-hmm. of La Femme Nikita. Sure. Or any of the other like bajillion films the, also rip that off. Grand tradition of ripping off movies. Uh-huh. Love it. Um, except it's done as a Hong Kong action film. So it's probably better. And it's super fun. Um, Lee Chick um, is played by Jade Long Chang. Mm-hmm. She was great in the role. Super awesome. Yeah. Just had a great, like, her screen presence and everything. It was super good. Um, plot's pretty basic. Like, there's nothing remarkable about it just because, again, it is it is literally like beat for beat La Femme Nikita, if you're familiar with that. Which, how are you in the whole the whole verse of that, like realm of like we're ripping off that movie like awesome badass chick assassin thing um you know uh i i saw the film nokita when it hit video and mm-hmm. i was kind of underwhelmed to be honest yeah uh wait who did that one Ooh, off the top of my head it, it's fuzzy uh, da, 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 da. oh luke basson yeah that's what i thought i thought it was luke basson duh i should have known that yeah um, and I've always had 
a love hate actually mostly a hate relationship with him <laughs> Yowch, okay i like the professional okay that's yeah, like I love the, that one. that's the only movie of his i really liked mm, okay and nikita has moments but it, it just didn't really eh, didn't come together for me i never saw what was it point of no return that yeah. was the american version mm. it's, it's okay yeah right um so my entry point was actually the television show the american television show I don't know if you are familiar with that. I remember that. I didn't watch it, but I'm familiar um, with it. It was one of those ones that entrapped, I think, viewers in my age range because it seemed like it was going to be really spicy, and really it wasn't because it was just like a late-night syndicated TV show. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but then you're drawn in, and you're like, whoa, this is a cool thing with all these like secret government agencies and assassins and stuff going on. Um, but yeah, so Black Cat, super fun, super good. It's a little more like you go in, and you're like, oh, this is like the Hong Kong ripoff, so it's going to be crazy and over the top. It's a lot more grounded, but in a good way because that helped the story feel like it panned out really well. Nice. Um, I've, there's a sequel, and I've heard the sequel is like, if you're wanting the crazy thing, that's the crazy one where they just go way over the top. I saw it has like a big, like, they're on skis shooting each other action sequence. Oh, okay. Kind of felt like that one James Bond movie that's not so well regarded. Die Another Day? Yeah, Die Another Day. Oh, my God. That is the worst <laughs> one. That is the worst Oh, God, I hate that movie. Um, but shout out to Vinegar Syndrome because they restored Black Cat 1 and 2, and they just recently dropped that on a, on a little set Blu-ray set you can get. So nice. That was how I got at it. I'll have to check it out. Uh, next on my list, I went to the movie theaters for the first time of the year. Wow. And a bit of a swerve to check out Lisa Frankenstein. Okay. I want to talk about that. All right. Directed by Zelda Williams, daughter of Robin Williams. Oh, a yeah. A little connection to one of our films we That's did right. recently. Mm-hmm. Um. Produced and written by Diablo Cody, who I've learned in the interim of watching this that you are not so much a fan of. I'm not. Uh-huh. Win some, you lose some, I guess. <laughs> um, I love Jennifer's body, so mm-hmm. I, I was okay to check this out. And it's very like, there's a certain type of person that will love this film to death and mm-hmm. think it's like the greatest thing ever. And Posers. There are other people that will see it and just be totally repulsed by it. Um, but I loved it. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's set like very late eighties. I think it's 89 and you've got this main character and she's like the typical, like she's had a hard life, very misanthropic. Her mother's died. Her father's like remarried. And this is new, like blended family thing going on. She can't really vibe with that. Uh, she spent all her time hanging out in a graveyard, talking to a dead guy, kind of just like pouring her woes out on there. But otherwise she's very awkward and no one likes her. That whole that whole like losery vibe thing going on, sure. And, and then one night, a lightning bolt strikes this grave, brings back this Victorian era dude she's been pining over, as this kind of like zombieish creature, and he starts trying to like help her fix her life because his spirit has like heard all of her talkings and musings to him, so he wants to wants to help her. Okay, that's and, a good thing it didn't hit Jason Voorhees' grave. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's probably like a few few rows down. Yeah, you know? right. Um, and in the course of doing that, like, she starts trying to, like, repair him because he's, like, missing a hand. He's missing an ear. Mm-hmm. He has all these other problems. And they kind of learn in this convoluted way that she can, like, stitch parts onto him and then, like, reanimate them. And he starts becoming, like, more of a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the course of doing that and him trying to help her, that leads to them killing people that are sort of preying upon her. Uh, for example, she has, like, her lab partner in school. He's kind of, like, perving on her. And there's this whole thing in the start where, like, she's at a party and she accidentally gets drugged. And then he tries to take advantage of her. 
Um, so it's definitely people that like, you know, deserve it. Okay. But then it does get into that, like, well, should I have killed them or not type thing. Sort of like an undead Heathers? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Vibe-wise, it very much has the vibe of, like, a weird teen movie. I would think in the realm of something like Napoleon Dynamite, mm. where there's a lot of weirdness just for weirdness sake. And people kind of have not these, selling me on these really, like, pithy <laughs> phrases and sayings that pop out. And then also, I'm going to say, like, early Tim Burton. Like also when, good to me. When it's kind of gothic-y, but also there's like a whimsical air yeah, to it. right. Like if, if you told me like two films to like pair with this one, it would be Napoleon Dynamite and Edward Scissorhands. Okay. If those kind of got together and blended up, you would have Lisa Frankenstein. Okay. Um, I thought it was super fun. I loved it to death. All right. Tiffany loved it. Um, yeah. Not a lot of crit- – my only criticism is a very minor one, which is just that like they do the whole like, oh, everyone hates her and no one could ever love her. And it's like – even though she's a hot goth girl. She's a hot goth girl, and you're like, you yeah. would be falling over yourself to be a friend of this person and right. do yeah, anything I, I that they wish wanted. I knew a girl like that Yeah, yeah. around that time. Um, but it's a conceit for the story, so I can give them that and, let, and go with it, and it was fun. So mm. okay. Apparently, it's also in the same universe as Jennifer's Body. I don't know if that's some kind of tease that they might go back to that. Jennifer's but, Bodyverse? I didn't know that was a yeah. thing. I guess it's the uh, Diabloverse, maybe. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, you know, they got to pitch those all the time now. So, of course. Um, and then my last thing, not a movie, just want to get it in there. Mm. It, I will thread it through. Um, I want to talk about a show, an animated show. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about Has Been Hotel. Okay. Created by uh, Vivian Madrano. You've probably seen it because it's going everywhere right now because it's blowing up really big. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pitched forever ago as this whole concept thing, and they were going they made a pilot. And they were going to maybe do it themselves. And eventually A24 and Amazon Studios got involved, actually put some money behind it. And then now, I think it's on Prime now. You can catch it streaming the whole first season. Incredibly fun. It's an animated musical for adults. It's an adult animation. Mm. Uh, I think they list it as like 16 plus. So it's not like kids could watch it. And it seems like it's becoming very popular with kids because I did some cursory internet research and well, kids always want to watch things. Uh, scary amount of thirteen and fourteen year olds that were like, "Oh my god, has been hotel." So uh, that's, that's um, the appropriate age, in my it's opinion. It's one of those things, that's you know. Fine. I that's would have fine. snuck and watched it when yeah, I was thirteen. So that's fine. Um, but it's about this whole animated universe of hell, basically. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole thing where like hell's becoming overpopulated. More and more souls are coming down there compared to what's going to heaven. And it's creating this sort of like cosmic imbalance issue. Okay. And so to deal with that, heaven has decided that every year they will send down angels and just exterminate souls from existence to sort of balance the books. Okay. And in light of this, the daughter of Lucifer, her name is Charlie Morningstar. She is our main character. Uh, She's very like, she's the archetypical like Disney character almost where she's super sweet and super innocent and just kind of thinks the best of everything. Mm-hmm. And she has this idea that she's going to make a hotel that souls can check into. And they will work with them and do like different things to kind of rehabilitate them. Help them like overcome the sins they committed in life. Okay. And then being redeemed, they can rise up to heaven. And in doing so, that will balance things out. And there's no need to just exterminate people from existence. Okay. Um, and it's sort of the misadventures of her getting... This kind of ragtag group that she drafts around her and kind of charms into working with her and then navigating all the various things that are in the way of making that happen. Hmm. Um, And it is framed as a musical. So like every episode, there's a song. Um, Musicals are super subjective. You know, we've talked about that on here a lot. 
Um, it's very like modern music leaning, I guess, like more like pop and rock. And mm-hmm. um, what I liked about it though is it kind of like every character kind of had their own style. So if it was like just their song, the tone of it would be more musically fitting with that character compared to everyone else. Okay. Uh, like the main character, Charlie, every time she sings, it's pretty much like a fucking Disney song. Right. Like it just has that vibe and that tone to it. And um, so I like that they kind of coded the music along to each character. Uh, story was super fun. Animation is really, really cool. It's like not quite a retro vibe, but there's some of that influence in there. Mm-hmm. And um, just very stylish, very colorful. Uh, what else do I want to say about this? Yeah, I watched some of the uh, creators show um, Hell of a Boss. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't quite get into it, but I did like the animation and the voice work a lot. Which that was really good. I've not checked that out yet. It's another thing set in this same universe, just yeah. with a different cast of characters. They're making that independently, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more skewed younger, too. I don't but. Can't comment upon that. But <laughs> um, but this, like, it, it's super fun. I think, it, again, it's one of those things, like, you're going to know if you're going to be into it as soon as you check it out a little bit. The pilot is on YouTube free. You can kind of sample that. And then see if you want to go into the show. Cool. Um, this is going to keep Hot Topic in business for, I'm going to say, the next 10 years. Yeah, it looks very Hot Topic-y. Um, it's, it's very Hot Topic-y. It's very... Um, they need to retire that Nightmare Before Christmas shit <laughs> yeah. anyway. I mean, um, this, this is like, I think, the Invader Zim for this generation. Okay. Which I would also say that's a good comparison if you ever liked that kind of like Invader Zim or even yeah. the comics of Jonan Vasquez. It has that same kind of very pithy vibe of like lots of dry, sarcastic jokes and like people just throwing in like comments left and right. Mm. Um, and actually that whole era of cartoons like Invader Zim and the other stuff around it like uh, oh, edgy 90s kind of thing uh, like is it 90s? getting Late into 90s? the 2000s yeah. um, with, with other stuff like uh, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy all those shows were like you could tell they wanted to make it more mature and they couldn't mm. and so they just kind of hid the jokes right and like double talk and other things yeah. uh, but because this is a streaming show and they can just do whatever they want they don't have that like layer so it can be as vulgar as it wants to be nice um, super fun. I loved it. Give it a try. See what you think. All right. Join me in listening to the soundtrack on Spotify on repeat for days. <laughs> Wonderful. As you bounce around work and everyone's like, why is he smiling? <laughs> but that's all I got for today. All right. I guess on to the main feature now. On to the main course. So today, talking about a TV movie from the 70s, A Cold Night's Death, directed by Gerald Friedman. Mm, yes. Um, which the first thing I noticed about him looking up is he's sort of a TV movie, shall we say legend, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, he did a um, fuck ton of TV yeah, movies back then. Yeah, a whole lot. Um, and this aired, it was January 30th, 1973, on the ABC network. Yeah, it was their Tuesday night movie. And I know that because the only version you can find to watch of this is a rip that's on YouTube, and it's literally a rip from the airing. <laughs> Which I love they had that. Yeah. I, I wish they left the commercials in, honestly. Yeah. That would have been even better. But, uh, yeah, I, we touched on TV movies a bit back when we did Duel. Yeah. So we're not going to reiterate a whole lot of things. But If you want a whole big breakdown on that phenomenon, there's three episodes you can go back to and get into that. Yeah. Um, but briefly, once upon a time, children, <laughs> there were three networks on broadcast television. <laughs> um, 
So instead of like movie theaters didn't want to put movies out on TV too soon because right. people would just wait and stay home, mm-hmm. kind of like the whole streaming thing right now. Um, so TV studios were like, okay, hey, we're going to make our own movies. And then we're going to spend like a million bucks, make something pretty fast, pretty cheap. We're going to use TV stars, you know, standing sets a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to make TV movies. And, um, and there's a lot of shit, a lot of crap. But every now and then, you also get some really good gems, especially in the horror realm. And there is a book I highly recommend uh, by David Deal called Television Fright Films of the 1970s. And like a street preacher, he is just flopping it in the air right now as he's talking. Julianne, this is, this is my religion. Because <laughs> I, am, I am a product of the 80s, so I watched a lot of these on reruns. You know. Um. But he has a lot of good things to say about this one. Oh, well, what does he say? Well, it's also known as Chill Factor. Mm-hmm. Um, Less but, interesting name. But he he's, 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 he praises the movie quite a bit. We'll touch on some of the things he says later. All right, yeah, yeah. Bookmark that for yeah. once we've talked about this. Yeah, but, um, you know, I think, I think it helps if you're of a certain age to really get into these. But I think there's a lot for like this movie in particular that you know there's a lot to like even mm-hmm. for a modern audience. Unfortunately, really, like you said, the only way to really watch it is on YouTube, mm-hmm. and it looks like shit. It's terrible quality. Yeah, but I mean that's that's all you got, right? I mean, it would be nice if they went back and cleaned up some of these movies and put them out on Blu-ray or something. Which some people are. Um, Vinegar Syndrome has done a box set of made-for-TV movies, and then it's it's one of their partner labels. They did. They're doing a series called Primetime Panic, and that's also mm. uh, taking TV movies and restoring them and releasing them really nice. Nice. So okay. Hope that's an untapped frontier. So eventually, once they've done you know everything else, hopefully more studios will look at that. I mean, the rights can't be that expensive because the studios don't fucking care about them anymore. Yeah. You know, they're not going to replay them. <laughs> yeah. They're not dropping them onto Peacock and stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd watch the hell out of them if they did, though. There's a lot of great old stuff. Um, anyway, so uh, briefly, this movie is about two scientists suspect there is someone other than their research primates inhabiting their polar station. Yep. Uh, what genre is this, Dustin? What so officially, IMDb says horror, mystery, sci-fi. I think that's all pretty spot on. It is. Um, it I, is. I know it often gets tacked in no matter what, but I actually think thriller is kind of appropriate for this one. Thriller, yeah, for Cause, sure. Because there is that tension of like, is there someone here or mm-hmm. isn't there? Right. Is one of us going crazy or not? Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. So a lot of their, I guess their mentality is like a big part of the story. Yes. This is one of my favorite kind of movies. One, it does not overstay its welcome. No. Minus commercials, it's like an hour 14. Yeah. Uh, so if you're short on time and you just want like a quick little chiller... <laughs> popping in um but also it is uh a horror film set in one location mm-hmm. which i'm a sucker for and it's just basically a play because i was really gonna say that was really characters. the vibe i got like this could be a stage play yeah. you could totally just like map this out and perform it yeah exactly and i love that i'm a sucker for that shit um, it really, when you do that, it really rides on the performances. And I think that's like the strongest thing about this is the, oh, yeah. the two lead actors. I agree. We got Robert is, Culp. Uh, yeah. Robert Culp and Eli Wallach. Yes. And Robert Culp, you will know from I don't know, the greatest American hero. He was an I spy for years and years. Oh, hold on. I got you here. Tons of TV work. He's in such beloved horror efforts as extra three. Watch the skies. Okay. 
and he's also Lieutenant Connolly, the the key police officer in Silent Night, Deadly Night Three. Better watch out. Oh, that's right. Now, in case you're confused about those, that's the one where they bring Ricky Caldwell back, now played by Bill Mosley. With a Pop-O-Matic on his head. And he, yeah, he's in a coma and has a Pop-O-Matic thing on his head because his doctor is obsessed with ESP and is doing <laughs> weird psychic experiments and awakens him as this kind of mindless slasher that pursues a young psychic girl. It's god-awful. Now, wait a minute. Have we... That, that plot sounds familiar. No. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Awful movie. And then Eli Wallach... Obvious thing is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, he is Tuco. Yeah. So good um, as Tuco. He's still that movie. Which it's funny because when I watched this, I was like, man, I can't see it until like the back half where yeah. he starts losing his shit, and right. I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah. Yep. Eli Wallach is great. Um, but also speaking of westerns, he is in the Magnificent Seven as yes, well. Yes, right. So. He's also as a bit part in. Um, oh God, what's the name of that movie? Never mind, scratch that. It doesn't matter. Let's go, let's go on. <laughs> Circle of Iron. Oh. Uh, which was co-written by Bruce Lee. Oh. And he was going to star in it, but unfortunately died. <laughs> uh, so David Carradine is in it. Oh. And um, I forget the name of the actor, the, the younger person who was learning from David Carradine. It's not a bad movie. I've never seen it. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Oh, um. Christopher Lee pops up in it, too. Oh, okay. Now you've got my attention. Yeah, it, it's worth watching. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so we begin the movie with, uh, well, after the TV introduction. <laughs> the ABC Tuesday night movie. Uh, we get a shot of a snowy landscape kind of rushing by. Kind of a cool atmospheric. It's like yep. a helicopter shot. or Pretty low for a helicopter. It may have even been like a snowmobile or something. I don't know. Uh, but we get some cool eerie music and we switch to night and we see like, um, like a research station. Mm-hmm. It's called the tower mountain research station. And we hear like a frantic man inside. We don't see what's inside. We just no. see light through windows. You just hear him. Yeah. And there's snow everywhere piling up on the building. Uh, that's one thing I like about this movie. There's the constant sound of wind. Mm-hmm. You know, the sound design's really good. A lot of constant sound effects in this one. Yeah. And he's frantic. He's trying to respond to the radio call. Yeah, he's trying to contact someone. Yeah. Yeah. And we hear like some ruckus going on in the building. And then nothing. And then we get this sort of like opening narrator thing going on. We get a very helpful uh, exposition voiceover. Uh, And this is from Ryan Horner, the project director of whatever this research station is up to. Mm -hmm. Um. And I just wanted to throw this in there. He's voiced by Vic Perrin, mm-hmm. and it's a very slight role, so you might not even care about it, really. But um, it stuck out to me because I was like, oh, this dude is like a crazy good voice actor. Yeah. He's had so many voice acting roles. He was Dr. Zen and Johnny Quest. And like... Oh, sweet. Okay. Per- yeah. God damn. Okay. Yeah, now, yeah, now yeah. I was wondering why his voice sounded so familiar. I grew um, up Johnny Quest. If you watched any Hanna-Barbera cartoons ever, you've probably seen him. Like from Scooby-Doo to even weirder stuff like Jabberjaws, he's always had additional voices on those. Um, even the early Marvel animated projects like the 60s Fantastic Four and then uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Sweet. Okay. You, you go looking through the lists on that. And so this dude's the yeah. voice of my childhood. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right. You've heard this guy if you've seen any of that stuff. That's why it sounds familiar. And apparently he was uncredited. But <laughs> I'm sure he got a paycheck of some sort. <laughs> I mean, he, it's like it's not even a minute. Really, yeah, he's but. probably in a booth like <laughs> rattling off 12 different projects in like a few hours. All right. What's the next one? <laughs> Who am I in this one? Yeah, he's explaining that Dr. Vogel 
hasn't been responding to radio calls and has been acting erratically. Um, he's doing um, like long-term altitude experiments on chimpanzees mm-hmm. to see how people might react to like you know space travel. Yeah, it's, like it's for a potential space probe. Mm-hmm. He was acting erratic. He was uh, talking about having conversations with like Napoleon and Alexander the Great. Yeah. And so they're sending a couple of uh, other research scientists up there to see what the fuck's going on. Yeah, it's Robert Jones, which is Culp's character, and then Wallach plays Frank Anari. Yes. And they also have a pilot played by Val Adams. No, played by Michael Gwynn. His name mm-hmm. is Val Adams. Which Michael Gwynn, uh, he's not been in a ton of stuff, but I did notice he is slim in Cherry 2000. Okay. You know I love me some post-apocalyptic you stuff. You know, I never so. saw that one, yeah. oddly. I don't know how I avoided that in the 80s. It's not the best, but it's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and they also they bring another chimp with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Geronimo is the chimp's name. I think he's like supposed to be like a control chimp or something. For yeah, this he, he's the one they're going to do nothing to, so then they can yeah. compare right. data. Um, so they get there and they find the place is trashed. Which the opening scene, I like how slow and like methodical it is. If like they yeah. land the plane, they open it, and they literally have to like push and fight their way through the snow to get up to the door right and this station's kind of big for what it is so it takes them a while to go through everything and 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 explore and check everything out which the location was so cool i looked it up and um this was filmed at the university of california's high altitude barcroft research station yeah so it's a real place so great uh production value yeah 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 um they find the caged chimps are like freezing to death Mm mm-hmm yeah, whole place is in disarray. Yeah, so their they're, they're first goal is to get the heater going. Uh, and and we, we get some great, like, just, like, lay down of story and plot points where they go over. They have this whole system of there's no way to get water there. Yeah. And so there's this whole thing where you have to shovel in snow right. from this flap outside. And then there's this whole, like, boiler system. Yeah. That melts and creates the water. And yeah, but you have to keep it full, mm-hmm. keep things going. Because enough has to be reserved to be the heating water yeah. to boil the next set. Um, interesting, the pilot has a gun. Mm-hmm. So Chekhov's gun, you know. <laughs> uh, and they're searching, and they do find Vogel. He's frozen to death in the electronics room. Mm-hmm. Which is locked when they find it. Um, wasn't it unlocked? I thought it was locked, and they thought that was weird. Because wasn't there kind of a mystery at first about how he could have died? Because um, they were saying he's locked inside, and then like the window is open, and they were like, "How would he not, you know?" Um. Okay, I think you're right. I think it was like locked from the outside. Yeah. Yeah, and the window's open, and he's frozen to death at the radio. Because that was the question: is like, why would he sit in there? Why would he not try to get out? And then. Right. Yeah. Um, let's see. But interestingly, they kind of set them up and then Val leaves. Yeah, he gives them like a rundown of how everything works. Mm-hmm. Uh, leaves the gun. <laughs> which, which again is just super, super set up. Yeah, it takes the body back with him mm-hmm. and also some of the equipment because he had a tape recorder that he was next to and it was frozen. Yep. And they're like, okay, well, we, we have to wait for that to thaw out naturally. We can't play it because it's just going to snap. You yeah. know, it, it's frozen solid. Tape. <laughs> so he takes that back to the home base. 
And then we get a lot of like, it's kind of just like daily life, I guess, at the station. Yeah, yeah. Um, we meet all all the uh, the monkeys they have. Yep, yep. Which um, and they're all they have they all have cages that are labeled like one's Augie, another one's like Genji, yeah, Ali, Nappy. Um, and Frank is interested in divvying up the duties immediately. He he's very much the research scientist <laughs> here. He's very yeah. much about like order, and and you know doing it by the book. Yeah, and Robert's more just. He's the McCready character. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you're gonna get very big thing vibes from this which is interesting because yes the thing is a remake mm-hmm. but this feels more like the remake that came out in 82 than it does the original howard hawks production i think from another world yeah i think the thing is they're all looking to the same thing right because like i'm sure that this looked at thing from another world right which but is also who goes there it's also looking at who goes there so yeah. it's just all sort of a chain right Yeah, so Frank wants to divvy up the duties, and there's talk about, like, who cooks. <laughs> Robert's like, uh, you know, for the sake of mercy, you cook. And he's like, okay, well, who cleans? And Robert's like, well, the guy who cleans is the guy who cooks. <laughs> Robert's pretty much interested in just playing pool. Yep. Though he does get stuck with the hardest job, which is the shoveling snow. He, he does shovel the snow, which, which, which would suck. one trade-off. Yeah. Um, a lot of the sciency part in this is a little, little, uh, little shaky. I'm gonna say because it's just like it's never quite clear what they're doing here. Like you, you were told like yeah, it's to test to see like how people will do in space travel for this stuff we're planning. But right, um, it's very like every now and again Frank will bring up like something he noticed, and it's just like okay, mm-hmm. but, but what does that mean though? Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> nebulous. But I mean, basically they are like periodically cutting the rations for the chimps mm-hmm. and making them go through like stressful situations and things like that. Yeah. Which doesn't seem very nice. No, it doesn't. And um, this is again where the sound comes in because there's some scenes where they'll go into the chamber where they're all kept mm-hmm. and they're just like howling the entire yeah, time. A bunch of loud fucking monkeys. You get that in the wind almost yeah. constantly. If it's not the wind, it's the monkeys and it's just back and forth. Yeah. Which I didn't like it at first when I watched, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, it kind of sets a tone though that like, you can see how this is wearing on their minds. Right. It would get on your nerves pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they get a call on the radio from the base talking about how Vogel didn't have a heart attack mm-hmm. like they all expected, but uh, just froze to death. Yep. Just sat there and froze to death. And the tapes are blank. Yeah, so that just kind of builds the mystery further because yeah. their initial thing is like, oh, these tapes will explain everything. Mm-hmm. So Robert starts thinking that he's bothered by the fact that Vogel didn't look like peaceful when he died. He <laughs> said he had like this, you know, very distressed grimace of fear on his yeah. face. And apparently Robert's seen some shit. He's seen some men freeze to death. He knows <laughs> what it looks like. They have this cool back and forth at one point where it's like uh, Frank saying, like, you know, you care about the mystery and, like, the how does something happen. Mm-hmm. But I don't really care about that. I just care about, like, figuring out the why of things. Okay. Now, according to my notes, Jones is upset. But Robert, is, he's thinking that, okay, so Vogel had the keys to the room, but he says the door was not locked. Mm. Hmm. And they're puzzled why the tape was blank. And Frank's just trying to dismiss everything. He's like, oh, well, you know. 
vocal parts didn't hit the record button or something like that. Which doesn't make sense. But. No. Hmm. Unless I put it in my notes wrong. That's what I looked at. Um, it's such a slight detail right at the start. I'm not sure. But I, I just know there is that question of like, why did he stay in this room? Yes. And not, uh, not help himself. Yeah. So later that night, uh, Robert wakes up and he hears noises. He's walking around and he finds like equipment turned on in the electronics room yep. where Vogel died and the windows open. Which was a key feature of yeah. how yeah. it looked when he was dead. And he goes and he's trying to shut it and everything. And then we see the door start to shut. We mm-hmm. don't see how it just begins to shut. It's a good, uh, the way they frame it, like the camera angle. Yeah. Looks really good. So Robert's like, oh, what the fuck? He runs out of the room, <laughs> goes to the chimp's room. Um, the door is open to the chimp's room, mm-hmm. which he closes. And he's calling out to Frank, seeing if he's awake when he lays back down. But we do see that Frank is awake. He's, he's facing away from Robert, and he's looking like kind of fearful. <laughs> like, why is this guy running around in the middle of the night? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it sets up this idea that maybe they're not alone, that maybe mm-hmm. there is someone else there or something else or something else. And it's preyed upon the research station and it was what killed Vogel. Yes. And in the morning, the generator won't start and it's frozen. Mm-hmm. And like Frank's hollering for him and there's this really cool, like Robert gets up and there's this really cool kind of tracking shot of yeah, him yeah, down yeah. the hallway and going through the whole station. Yeah. I quite like that. Yeah. So they're running around. Frank's like turning off, the, uh, turning on the faucet so the water will run out so the pipes don't burst. And Robert's like struggling with the generator. And they finally get it going, mm-hmm. get the heat back up. But Frank is accusing Robert <laughs> of messing up the heater. Yeah. Because he heard him that night. He was up and around doing something. From his perspective, it kind of is like an A-B. Yeah. You know, this happened, then this happened. Right. So Robert's trying to explain to him what he saw last night. Saying that the medical analyzer was on, uh, the window was open, the door right closed by itself, as far as he knew. But Frank's still dismissive. He's like, you know, you're lying. <laughs> you know, you need to just tell me, like, you made a mistake, you messed up, you screwed up with the generator, just cop to it. <laughs> and uh, the next day, Robert, again, tries to talk to Frank, saying that, you know, there's, there's something wrong here. There's something in the station. It's clearly not adding up. Yeah, but Frank doesn't want to hear it. He's, he's too analytical. Any mention of anything beyond <laughs> understanding, beyond scientific explanation, just freaks mm-hmm. Frank out. He can't handle it. And they have some very, like, just bickering moments. Like, there's this whole thing where Frank wants to take a shower. Yeah. And he's, like, annoyed that the snow hasn't been shoveled yet. Right, right. And they're getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> it uh, it very much made me think of the lighthouse. Yeah. You just have two people in an isolated yeah. area, and they start to just fucking detest one another. It does. It does. Yeah. And there's a fun <laughs> scene where Robert, uh, Frank's talking about, like, running his experiments, and he doesn't have certain amounts of data that Robert was asking about. Mm. And he's like, well, why don't you just use a medical analyzer? You know, it'll do it real quick for you. You don't have to do it manually. And Frank's sort of like, oh, you know, that's okay. And he's like, <laughs> you don't want to use a medical analyzer. You're afraid to go in that room. <laughs> and that challenges Frank's, you know, yeah. point of view. 
Uh, so the next night, the monkeys are making another big ruckus. Um, yeah, I think this was the moment that broke Tiffany because she did watch this with me. Oh, really? With, with the monkey? The very long, very continuous howling in the oh, scene. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It is. She was just like, what the fuck? I'm out. I'm done <laughs> on this one. It does get on your nerves. Mm. But, but, but I, I, I didn't find off-putting enough for me to be like, oh, God, I'm turning this down. You know, um, It put me off, but also I think it's the point. Yeah, it is the point. I agree. Um, so Robert's up seeing what the fuck's going on, and he goes in this one room, and... Frank has one of the monkeys hooked up to a treadmill. Yeah. It's like doing the stress test on him. And Robert's kind of freaked out by this because it does look freaky because the mm. thing's like forced upright, you know, walking and. Ugh. Yeah. It doesn't look like it's having a good time. No, it does not. Um, so Frank starts kind of accusing Robert of testing him. Yeah. Like he thinks Robert's doing all this stuff to mess with him. Mm. Intentionally. Yeah. And it's interesting because we, we know that they have a prior relationship. We don't get a lot of detail about what that is. Right. But it's clear that they've had a lot of interactions and they've worked together in the past. And I kind of like that because it, it leaves that question of like, well, are there like past wrongs between the two of them? Right. That, yeah, grudges. Yeah. They're still there. Yeah. So Robert's just sort of like, oh, God, this guy's not getting it. So he's okay, we'll talk about it tomorrow after breakfast. How's that? And Frank's like, okay, great, sure. Yeah, we'll do that. Because he <laughs> thinks he's solved everything. You know? yeah. I mean, he's part of some secret experiment or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he but, thinks that uh, the director like put him up to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the next morning, uh, yeah, Frank's wanting to take his shower. There's no water. <laughs> um, and this is where we get the actual long shot of Robert doing the actual shoveling job. Yeah. And man, it's rough, dude. Right. Uh, but Frank goes, has a shower, whatnot, comes back, and Robert's sitting in a trashed kitchen. Yep. Like, the whole place is just Decimated. a mess. And he's, like, going over, like, bits of food that are left. And uh, Frank's like, see, I was right. You know, I've caught you. You're fucking with me. You're doing this intentionally. But Robert is obviously puzzled by the mess. Mm-hmm. Which, again, it seems like all the evidence is just lining up to his theory that there has to be a third entity mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the mix on this. Yeah. They hear some more noises. They go check it out and they find Geronimo. He's playing with the pool balls on the pool table, like kind of freaking out. <laughs> yeah. He's not doing too good either. And Frank says something about how the other monkeys are mad at him at, at Geronimo. Yeah. I they, guess cause he's getting preferential treatment. Yeah. They treat him different. It yeah. seems like he's not being experimented on and made <laughs> to run on a treadmill and shit. Some might say abused. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All in the name of science, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Frank's kind of apologetic to Robert. Frank thinks that okay, Geronimo was acting up. He must have gone in there and messed up the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Robert's not so sure. And there's also kind of a physical deterioration. I think that Robert Colt plays really well here. He, yeah. He's just getting more and more worn down because mm. he is the only one doing actually like the the hard physical. He's work. doing the yeah. hard physical labor, and he's also like mentally grappling with what's going on. Whereas Frank's just sort of ignoring it. And it might be a little later, but I'll just bring it up now. There's a part where he actually rants to Frank about like what it's like to do the shoveling, mm-hmm. and he talks about how like once you're out there for even just 15 minutes, you you kind of just want to die at that point. Yeah. And you can't yeah, you, don't feel like you can do anymore, and you will freeze to death if yeah. you stay out there any longer. And so it's not just like he goes up there and does it and it's done. It's he goes out for a little bit, comes back yeah. in never really feels like he's better again, yeah. but then eventually has to go back out, do it again for a little bit, and right. just back and forth. It's not like shoveling your driveway. Right. 
And uh, Robert does keep talking something about how the monkey's names mean something. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't ever elaborate on it. Like he's working it through his head. Yeah, it's like he has that idea. Mm-hmm. At this point, I was sure to see the monkey's names and write them down. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care that much, so I, I just figured they would tell me. <laughs> um, I admire your sleuthing. Oh, thank you. So Robert's outside, shoveling again. Frank's taking another one of his showers. Dude uh, takes a lot of showers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, he, yeah, we see him getting weaker and weaker <laughs> while he's doing it. Uh, <laughs> so the monkeys start freaking out, and Frank discovers that Geronimo is not in the cage where he put him. Nope. He got out somehow. And Robert's out shoveling, and he's thinking, and he stops. And he suddenly realizes... And you get like a voiceover here, I think his thoughts. Yeah. That the monkey's names are shortened versions of the historical names that Dr. Vogel was having yes. conversations with. Like Augie is Augustus Caesar, uh, Genji is Genghis Khan, Ali Alexander, mm-hmm. Nappy Napoleon. And of course they brought Geronimo in. Right. So that that's like another link. Yeah. Um so he's like, Oh shit. <laughs> Uh, all the sad scene where Frank finds Geronimo dead in the lock in the locked cabinet. Mm, yeah, a little sad for that. Yeah. Uh, and the door outside, we see it get bolted. Yep. So Robert is stuck outside. And dude, this is like really harrowing when he gets back to the yeah, door and realizes yeah. he can't get in because he's like about to fucking die. Mm. And he actually goes through the. Um, it, it made me think of Devil's Pass that we did forever ago. Oh yeah. Uh, where they're climbing, you know, the Dyatlov Pass stuff. Because they talk about it in that film, and it, it happens here. They just show it. Because uh, one of the theories about what happened with Jetloff Pass is like that they just got like, yeah, it's the hypothermia, the hypothermia and stuff, and yeah. went crazy and stripped all their clothes yeah. off. And he starts to do that. He pulls off his his hat, his yeah. goggles, uh, and paradoxical undressing. Yeah. yeah. But eventually, he finally has the idea. Like, I can get in through that chute. Yeah. That I shovel the snow in. Yeah. And it's. Of course, the image isn't hard to see, and that might add to this, but it's kind of creepy the way he looks. He does look like oh, yeah. partially frozen. <laughs> you know, like his beard is just encrusted with ice, um, and his face is all white. What he looks like is the thing, like the image, like the art image for the, po- was it one of the posters? Oh, yeah. Where it's just like the person in like the snow gear, and you can't see the face because there's a light. Yeah, it's the Drew Struzan poster. Yeah, yeah. he kind of looks like that. Yeah, you're not wrong. I wonder if there was a little bit of influence. Maybe. I mean, Carpenter did his share of TV movies. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he was familiar with this. I could see him digging this. Yeah, totally. So Robert gets in. He's half dead. But Frank is holding a gun on him. Dude, and I love this because, again, they're they're keeping the hypothermia angle. So when he comes in, Frank draws the gun on him. Yeah. And he's trying to explain it. He's just like... (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) He just can't fucking talk. Yeah. Uh, Frank thinks he killed Geronimo. Mm Mm-hmm. And Robert is trying to collect himself, and he's talk, trying to say about how, you know, think about it. You know, we we took food away from the monkeys, so they took the food away from us. Yep. We made them afraid. They made us afraid. They're making us afraid. And yeah. Frank's, you know, he's still not really buying it. It's preposterous. Yeah. But Robert's grabbing hold of Frank, trying to tell him it was the monkeys. And whether it's an accident or he panics, the gun goes off, and Robert is dead. Yeah, drops him in one shot. I mean, Frank is a scientist, right? So he's not like a soldier. It right. Could be possible just he's to... He's got shitty yeah. trigger discipline. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Tuco. <laughs> Unlike Tuco, an expert gunsman. 
Um, so Frank's tr- like freaking out. And yeah, he doesn't like, know what to do. Yeah, he's hearing his own like voice accusing Robert of experimenting on him. And he's like, what the hell? Where's that coming from? We think maybe it's <laughs> internal, but no, yeah. it's, it's, it's. And it's that's another good like uh, play because they set up, we get the internal thoughts of Robert when he's outside. Right. Yeah. So you're thinking like, oh, okay. So same thing. Yeah. But he's actually hearing this and he goes to the electrical room and there's a tape recorder playing. Mm-hmm. Something running. had recorded the conversation and the windows open and Frank's over there and he's trying to shut it. The snow's billowing in, you know, and it's sticking. <laughs> Uh, but then the door closes and locked and is locked. Mm-hmm. And he looks back and he sees one of the chimpanzees looking through the window. Yep, it peeks up and looks in the glass. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. It's a pretty cool final shot. Very like sh- short, nice, tight little film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much of a surprise it is. Mm-hmm. Because, and this took him out in 73. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think the monkeys might have something to do with it, but at the you same think. time, the movie would never really tips its hand. Right. It doesn't really say. By the time you have the pieces to guess it yourself, I think you're already, like, you're right there at the confrontation at the end with the gun. So yeah. you, right. you're figuring out about as fast as Robert figured it out. Right. And I think the short runtime helps with that. Mm-hmm. I think if it, was any, if it was any longer, you would have. Oh, God. You know. No. Because even at the runtime it was at, in the middle there, at some point, I was kind of like, mm, okay, <laughs> can we get uh, something else happening now? Or And that's something, like, uh, the author of this book, David Deal, has a lot of praise for this movie, but he thinks it could have used another half an hour. And oh, I vastly no, disagree. Oof. I think this is the perfect length. I had to bring in another character or something. Yeah. Yeah. So. But he has a lot of praise for the actors, which rightfully should oh yeah for the sound design and the 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 actual set itself which i guess is actually a real location Mm -hmm. yeah it catches a that great claustrophobia feel very well i think now how do you feel about the ending i want to talk about that i guess before we get into like overall thoughts okay um i mean i like it Mm -hmm. it doesn't I don't think it's too abrupt. Um, I do like the final shot of the chimps looking through the window. Yeah. Because it's, the monkey's expression is like, it's not like, you know, <laughs> evil, yeah. you know, grinning, but it's also, it's just, it's kind of sad more than anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, take that fucker. That's for experimenting <laughs> on us. And I like the fact that, because I was worried when Robert realized like he was having conversations and air quotes yeah. with the monkeys. I was afraid, oh God, if they become like hyper intelligent they're, they're or talk, something. Yeah. But um, I mean, some of the stuff may be beyond what chimpanzees can do, but also I buy it. It was shades of like uh, Planet of the Apes. Right. Especially the newer ones where you saw the transition from yeah. like... Well, they're, they're starting to get smarter, but not yeah. talking or anything like that. Yeah. Um, initially, the ending like really pissed me off. Yeah. It just seemed like... I don't know. It didn't go there for me at first. And then I was thinking back and I was like, it seemed a little incredulous. Some of the events that happen, if it is just the monkeys. Um, yeah. But I, I kind of turned a corner after a while. Yeah. This one, uh, we were a little behind on recording this one. Yes. And I think if we'd recorded it when we originally planned, which was like the very next day after I watched it, I had a lower score in my mind than I do now. Having, having settled and sat with it for like another week. Interesting. Interesting. Um, 
because one of the things is I think that um, the whole monkey part thing kind of doesn't matter. That's just the conceit to get these two characters there, and it's really about right. them and their interactions and like their psychological back and forth and their mentality and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I agree. That's interesting. That had to sit with you for a little while. Mm-hmm. I wonder how this played back in the day. Well, I have some of that in my notes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Thoughts about this. So, um, Graham Clark from The Spinning Image rated the film 7 out of 10 stars, praising the film's atmosphere, performances, and score. Was this a contemporary review? Uh, this is a contemporary okay. review, yeah. Okay. Um, this is just all the kind of impressions I pulled. Okay. Uh, Dave Sindelar from Fantastic Movie Musings and Ramblings also praised the film's atmosphere and performances. Uh, put it down as one very effective TV movie thriller. Uh, the Terror Trap awarded the film three out of four stars, calling it a triumph of mood creation. And this is the only like contemporary thing I could dig up. The movie was nominated for the 1974 Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best Television Feature or Miniseries. Oh. I couldn't dig up what it lost to, but I was... You know, when I got that, I was like, yeah, it does... You can tell it has like the inheritance of Poe in a way. Sure. Kind of on the, on the thriller side of things. Yeah, the whole murders in the room morgue monkey mm-hmm. thing. And even just like the two people and the decay and stuff. I thought of like um, the cask of Amontillado. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or, or even yeah, the yeah, Telltale Heart. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you had any other stuff you found about like... There's not a lot stuff. out there, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, most of my other notes is just weird thread connections. Mm-hmm. I can run down those real quick. Uh, Gerald Freeman, like I said, he had a lot of like TV movie credits. He also had a lot of just TV show credits that impressed me. Um, he directed episodes for Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Nice. Uh, he did some episodes for X-Files. Yeah. And he even did six of the episodes for a personal favorite of mine, Night Gallery. Oh, yeah, Night Gallery. That was great. the 80s horror anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Sterling's follow-up to Twilight yep. Zone. Super cool. Um this is probably the biggest name and the whole thing attached to it, but Aaron Spelling was the executive producer on mm-hmm. this. You could rattle a lifetime oh, of he's stuff like, for him, but yeah. so oh, many TV shows. That there. Um, uh, no. Christopher Knopf, I know the writer. Mm, he did yep. 20 Million Miles to Earth. He did. That Ray Harryhausen movie back in the 50s. Um, he got some sci fi cred. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> um, let's see what else. I have. Um, Oh, the music. So there's some really neat like synth work and like computer bleep bloops in the soundtrack. Uh-huh. That impressed me, especially that intro when they're flying in. Yeah. And you're getting like the beep boop doop doop. Yeah, it's kind of postmodern. It's cool. Uh, it's very interesting. Very ahead of its time, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was composed by Gil Millet. And he also scored the Andromeda Strain. Nice. Which kind of makes sense once you know that. He's also got tons of TV movie credits, and like our director, he also did compositions for Night Gallery score. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so nice little things. Um, the cinematographer, Leonard J. South, he kind of gets into our Western angle here with those people. He uh, filmed Hang 'em High. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Lots of nice little threads and connections there. That, that movie actually always kind of bothered me. That's like one of my least favorite uh, Eastwood Westerns because it's so f- I, I, this tracks though. <laughs> I was about to say because it's flat like a TV, mm-hmm. like a TV show. So he probably shot it yeah. fast and cheap like a TV show. <laughs> yeah, this guy's a, a TV cinematographer extraordinaire. So. Okay, that makes sense. 
All right. You know, we learned something today. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's really it. There's not a lot of information. I even went into some like deep dives on the film, but it's just analysis on the film. There's not a lot of. No one cares about old TV movies. Yeah, gone it's, and forgotten. It's a shame. We need to keep it alive, man. Maybe you could grab someone if you're doing a Blu-ray now and get an interview or something. But yeah, I mean, there's tons of great horror movies from the '70s that played on TV. Because even the first thing I want to know is like working with the um, the animals in this. Mm-hmm. I wonder, wonder how that was. No. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, are we in the final thoughts now? Uh, do you have any anything else? I haven't got anything. Else, All right, so. we can final thought it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, do you want me to go first? Sure. You you go first. Okay. Okay. Um, so one thing I want to talk about was the connections to the thing, but I think we already got that out there. Um, there was another connection thing I wanted to bring up and this is more of just like a thought for me and like a tone thing, but, um, and maybe you can agree or disagree with this for me, but, uh, I got a big Nigel Neal vibe. Mm -hmm. You familiar with him? Yeah. uh, Yeah. Quatermass. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's known for Quatermass, uh, stuff like the woman in black or personal favorite of mine, the stone tape. Um, all his stuff kind of has that like sci-fi-esque or science is like a big key part of the plot. It's almost like, yeah, he does like science fiction, Eldritch horror, H.P. Lovecraft adjacent sort of, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird little like milieu he made of his films and the stuff he worked on. Um, But also in all of those, very much like the psychology and the mentality of the characters matter, like the stone tape. Mm -hmm. The lead in that is she kind of goes crazy because they don't know if it's, is it a ghost? Is it not a ghost? What's going on? Um, so yeah, I mean, there's no connections in this movie or its production. It's totally an American production. Yeah, uh, it just has that feel. You're right, but but it has that vibe, and I always kind of notice that whenever it's like, because he was so distinct. Like mm. I don't, not many other films I watch. I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a Nigel Neal thing. Right. Uh, so that impressed me. Cool. Uh, See, so yeah, I mentioned the lighthouse. Same thing. The isolation. The two mm-hmm. characters kind of wearing down on each other. Um. But I was very mixed on this film, and I feel like. The highs are so good, and it's a lot of it's the interactions between the two characters, Robert and Frank. Yeah, uh, their back and forths, their debates on ideas, and the way they each are about science and knowledge and operating on things, and mm. and then as that tears down between them, um, those moments are like five star film moments yeah. if you just isolated those. Right. But the middle of the film is like, oh man, so dull, and there's a lot of like, even for that hour, it is. Hmm. There were times where I was kind of like, hmm. I just don't know. Okay. Um, and then the ending, I'm still kind of back and forth on it. Like, I don't hate it like I did initially, but I do still think it's kind of a, it, it feels like a weak ending. And when I say that, then I'm like, well, what would I want instead? Mm-hmm. But I actually don't have an answer for that. For a um, monkey to turn around smoking a cigar and explain <laughs> the whole plan? No, I would have hated that even more. <laughs> um, but I think the important thing is when I go back and forth on this, this is a TV movie. It was made quick. Yep. It was made cheap. Yep. It was supposed to fill a time slot on a Tuesday night to get some commercial ad money for yeah. ABC. And this is back when, when, I mean, they were totally disposable. Maybe yep. they would replay it, but usually they just played it and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, it played for one night. And... and then when you get out of the 70s and you get on more into like, you know, 90s and 2000s, then you had that cycle of like, Primetime would have it, then it gets dumped to the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, syndication and everything. Yeah. Until Sci-Fi Channel started making their own, because right. they're like, why are we paying for these when we can just make them? But this was a good, what, 15 years away from syndication? Yeah. You know, that was never part of the plan. Yeah, it was one and done. Yeah. And in light of that, it, it, I mean, it is really good in the execution of mm-hmm. everything, even if some of the plot points, I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. Right. 
Um, and it's, it's like you said, that was the first thought I had when I finished. I was like, this is a play. This is just a play that they stage with a decent budget. Yeah. And, and I can see it in my mind if I just close my eyes and think about it, like the one stage and the way they would kind of set the scenery and to do like the exterior or the interior. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just these two characters kind of oh, leading yeah. the show. It could totally be a play. Um, and it, it all rests on those performances. And, and Culp and Wallach, they deliver oh, yeah. and they slay it. So in the end, I gave this one a three. Okay. Nice. And I think all if right. we had recorded it right after I saw it, I was more like a two. Okay. And I, I really kind of, the more I thought about it and sat with it, and I was like, no. Nice. Especially for TV movies. This is this is super solid. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, I don't agree with you about it lagging in the middle. I didn't really get that. Uh, the only thing that irritated me in this isn't the production's fault, which is the poor quality mm-hmm. of the available video. You that's know, not its fault. No. It's very distracting, but you just have to kind of go with it. <laughs> I mean, it's never going to be... You know, 4K. Although it probably was shot on film. It probably could be 4K. If the uh, the print's there to restore, it could yeah, be. Yeah, it could be. Um, as much as I like hearing his voice, especially now that I realize who he was, <laughs> Vic Perrin, I don't... I, the voiceover's a little... Eh, I mean, it's expedient. Mm-hmm. It gets the information yeah. across. But... It is very atonal to the rest of the film. It, it's nothing that the researchers could not have been discussing themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of them could have like been new to the situation, like the pilot or whatever, and they, they're explaining to him everything. You know what it made me think of? It'd be more organic. Speaking of like Nigel Neal and then like Cthulhu stuff, mm-hmm. uh, this made me think of like a Call of Cthulhu scenario or something. Oh, totally, and, yeah. And that director narration, that's like the first thing you read when you start the adventure. <laughs> you're right. This is what you're doing. It's like you read this that This is to, why you're going to this You place. read that to them and it's like, all right, you're in the helicopter. The helicopter is descending upon the snow. Nice. Go, let's play. Well, see, now I want to rip this off for a Cthulhu game. <laughs> Maybe you should. Maybe I will. Yeah. Um, probably even a lot more than monkeys going on, though. <laughs> uh, so that that's one minor, very minor complaint. Because mm-hmm. when Robert starts talking about how he was, Vogel was having conversations with the monkeys, I kind of forgot about that line yeah. with the exposition dump, with the narration and everything. Um. Yeah, I mean, like you say, it, it nails that isolated feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're trapped somewhere. Um, I don't have a lot of negative things to say about it, really. Um, it, it's a little slight. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's a nice, fun little story. Like, if I was watching TV and this came on back in the day, I would have been perfectly happy spending those 90 minutes that way, <laughs> you know? Um so at the end of the day, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's a three-star movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're right there together. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Killer. It's not as good as some of the best TV horror. Like, you know, it's not Salem's Lot. Right. It, yeah, it's, sure. it's not Duel. It's not Crowhaven Farm, you know, or Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Mm-hmm. Some other ones to check out out there if you guys haven't seen them. But in the pantheon of these, I think this one is like super solid oh yeah Yeah. totally solid yeah it's it's well worth a watch and i think in in our world we we like to put ideas out there and and the power of manifestation Mm -hmm. i think uh if you're one of those blu-ray labels and you're looking for some cool tv movies to try to get man this one would like i think it would do gangbusters if you restored it and released it or even any of the streaming you know like Screenbox or shutter or something Mm -hmm. buy the rights you know clean it up uh yeah stream it you know i mean introduce people to this they get a whole series of TV horror movies. It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say check it out. 
worth the watch. And it, it is uh, currently the only way to watch it is on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I probably won't put the link directly to the film in the show notes just because I feel funny about that. Yeah, but like, you, you don't need to. You can literally go on the there movie. and search yeah. it yeah, and get it. It's like, not like hidden or anything. Uh-huh. You don't have to. Um, cause that, that's all there is. And maybe one day there will be a Blu-ray. And if there is, I will be happy to support it. Mm-hmm. But until that day comes, it's that TV rip is all we got. That's it. <laughs> but I mean, thank goodness for that because otherwise, it, you know, yeah, it'd be a lost be forgotten. Um, and so thank you, John, for pitching yeah, this one to us. That's a fun one. Solid. Um, if you don't get in touch with us, we will track you down mm-hmm. and try to see if you want to, you want a sticker sent your way. Yeah. As we are want to do. You need a sticker. And if you're out there in, in the old listening land and you've got a movie that you love or that you champion or you think's kind of neat, or even if you've been listening for a while and you like, you're like, Hey, I think one of you guys would dig this mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Right in, send it to us, pitch it to us. And if you got more TV horror, let us know. Jason wants more TV horror. I do. I love it. Especially if it's from the 70s. Yeah. Best decade. Um, for movies. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the, um, it's a little later from this, I guess, but it's like the after school movies. That yeah, whole, like, the after yeah. school special. Yeah. Oh, dude, there was this one about <laughs> capital punishment that wrecked my shit. <laughs> I was probably like eight, and I probably shouldn't have been watching it. <laughs> But it wrecked my shit. And ever since then, I will give this thing credit. I have been anti-capital punishment. Wow. I've been anti-death penalty ever since that. Hey, I mean, know. I was eight years old. I don't think my ethos was <laughs> fully formed yet. But it definitely had a lot of influence. No, no, I understand. Uh, Requiem for a Dream, my anti-drug. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're never going to do smack because of that movie? Yes, honestly, to, be, to tell the truth, yeah. It scared the fucking shit out of me. Hey. Traumatized me. It's better than those stupid movies that used to make us watch in high school and stuff. Um, did a lot better than the whole, like, winners don't do drugs thing. Yeah, yeah. So. This is your brain on drugs. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, our anti-drug thing in our high school that some of the students did was called... Okay, so our mascot was a Scotty <laughs> dog, right? Okay. So their little group was called Dogs. Everybody just stopped listening to the podcast, by the way. <laughs> That's fine. But finish your story. Uh, D-A-W-G-S, Dogs. Yeah, because they're, they're cool, right? Right, right, yeah. right, right. Um, but it stood for um, drugs are wrong, go straight. <laughs> but me and my friends always said drugs are wonderful, get some. <laughs> oh, they really didn't test that, did they? They did they not. It out? No. Yep. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, no, people haven't tuned out yet because we haven't announced what the next movie is. They haven't. Who's going to leave before that happens? Well, we'll see. That's like turning off a porno for the cum shot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm ready, Jason. Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you ready? <laughs> Hang on. It's coming. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go back to the 80s. Oh, okay. Because I love the 80s. We're just, we all going know. all around the times here yep, lately. We sure are. This is one I've been wanting to talk about for a while and rewatch for a while. Okay. Uh, Paul Verhoeven, motherfucker. Uh-oh. Flesh and Blood. Oh, I've never seen it. From 1985. Rudger Hauer. One of his okay. best roles. Um... You know, there's some directors, like the big ones, like Verhoeven, yeah. um, that if I had noticed there's some films of theirs I haven't seen, I kind of just let them sit. Because mm-hmm. I like to know that there's another one I can go. Cool. Nice. It's like new. Well, this is one I'm going to ruin for you because you have to watch it. Oh, man. I'm, I'm ready. And it's got Jennifer Jason Lee, one of her earlier roles. Oh, okay. She's, she's great in it. She's always great. Um, ooh, the plot. What is it about? Oh, man. Um, basically, Rutger Hauer is the leader of this mercenary group. Okay. And... 
of course, they're employed by this guy to help sack a castle. Once they're done with him, they sort of kick him out. So they also they turn to a life of crime as well to supplement their income. And they come across Jennifer Jason Lee, who is like this young noble woman who's being betrothed to someone else. But and is this modern day or? No, 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 no. No, it's set like in the 1600s or something. Oh, okay. 1500s, Interesting. 1600s. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I probably should have specified well, When you that. first said mercenaries, I was thinking like, okay, so dudes with guns. <laughs> and then you're like, they go to a castle. No, man. No. And then I was like, oh, that's interesting, a castle. <laughs> it's Wolfenstein. <laughs> no, man, Roger Howard has this huge fucking flamberge. Oh, holy shit, okay. Yeah, it's amazing. It's cool. great. Yeah, I think you'll dig it. And it's streaming. It's pretty easy to find. I, I'm worried about the presentation. I think it's going to be kind of cropped from mm-hmm. the ones I could find. But what are you going to do? There is a Blu-ray out there. If you feel like picking it up. Killer. We'll look forward to that. A little uh, sword action I'm always good for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Killer. Um, and But yeah, send us your movie recommendations, stuff you want us to check out. We're always happy to grow the vault. We're going to be hitting more of those this year with our new little format we're trying. So it's your chance to have someone rant for a good hour to perhaps two hours, depending on the contents of the film <laughs> about the many goings on and our thoughts upon it. So share the love, send it to us. We'll cover them. Indeed. We'd love to do it. Let us know if you've seen this, what you think, or go check it out now yourself and let us know. We always love hearing what you think as well about these films. And you can do that by hitting us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, emailing us at genreexposure at gmail.com. Lonely place over there in the old Gmail inbox. But uh, every now and again, we get one. It's pretty fun. Um, Otherwise, I, th- I think we're good. I'm good. Are you good? I'm good, man. Cool. Well, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.